All right, is this thing working? Wow. This is intimidating. The verdict is still out if I'm going to hemorrhage or not, so we'll... Um, let, me, um, let me say a word of prayer real quick. Lord, what a surprise. Um, Lord, I confess I'm not, uh, I'm not worthy enough to, uh, to handle your word. Um, I don't feel uh, worthy to be behind the, um, the podium. Um, and, uh, and yet, Lord, here it is. So I pray you would uh, calm my nerves. You would help me to speak clearly. Lord, uh, you would get me out of the way. Um, and uh, Lord, you just help your word to, to speak through me. Um, you would open hearts and minds like only you can. And Lord, if I mess anything up, help them to forget it. Um, but Lord, mostly, um, I just pray that your, uh, your word would shine through. And ultimately, we thank you. Um, Lord, that you, um, you call all of us um, to uh, bear witness to the world of your greatness and your saving grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So I decided what I was going to do since it was last minute. Um, I'm a doctor. Uh, I only talk to people well, um, maybe one or two people at a time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take maybe one or two people at a time. I'm going to tell them the sermon in one room. And then every 15 minutes, I'm going to go through. All right? I do that all day. Everybody at once. If I had to see all my patients all at once, this is probably what I would feel like. Um, so uh, I do, I teach the youth on Wednesday night, and it's a, a blessing and a privilege. Uh, they hang in there because I can get long-winded. Um, you know, my wife told me, hey, about five minutes, just share your heart. This isn't a sermon, it's a devotion. So good luck with that being five minutes. Um, but um, all through, so this is a talk that I've given to the, uh, to the youth a, a few times now. It's something that's near and dear uh, to my heart. Um, you know, one of the big things we fight in culture today, of course, is um, the you know is not unlike any other culture that we've dealt with um, in history. If you study history, it's a it's a wonderful, it's a beautiful subject, and uh, all throughout history, there's always the prevailing sentiment of the day. Right? You've got rationalism, transcendentalism, you've got romanticism, you've got humanism, you've got all these isms throughout all of cultures, right? And, um, and it's just sort of the prevailing sentiment. It's, you know, the zeitgeist, just the spirit of the age. It kind of comes and it goes. And we're no different than any other culture, and we're dealing obviously with that right now. And so one thing is uh, that I've, I've told the kids, I've tried to hammer into them, bless their hearts, um, is... Um, if you, now these days, if you believe the Bible is the Word of God, um, and we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, uh, you're, a funda you're a fundamentalist now, right? You're on the fringe, you're weird if you think that uh, uh, the Bible is really the revealed Word of God, which of course we do. It wasn't always like that, but it is now. And so one thing I'm trying to hammer down to them is um, everybody has that point 
in their life, that point of their, uh, of their being um, that is a fixed point of reference. Now, if any of y'all remember, uh, I'm not going to sit down, but if any of y'all remember growing up, and uh, we all had, let me put this where everybody can see it, sort of. Um, any of y'all grew up um, in the elementary schools like we did around here, we used to always go to cathedral caverns, right? And, um, you know, you thought it was so cool, you go down there and they take you down. And I don't know if they still do this, um, but when you went down there and they had the whole class down there, just for a brief second, they would turn out the light, right? And you would see what true darkness looked like, pitch black, right? And everybody's, ah, you know, everybody's screaming and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so kind of the thing that I like to, to tell the kids is, imagine you're in that cave, complete darkness, right? And you've got a chair in there, and this chair cannot go anywhere. It's, it's nailed to the ground, right? Well, all of a sudden, if you know where this chair is, it doesn't matter that complete darkness is around you because you can sit here, and then from here, you can map out the entire room, right? So you can take five steps that way and know that there's a wall, and you can come back and you can sit and say, okay, there's my chair. Five steps that is that way, right? Ten steps that way, okay, there's some kind of pool of water or something like that, that's that. That way, you know, you can map out the whole room, right? You have your fixed point of reference. Now, if this, imagine if this chair had rollies on it, little roller wheels, right? Well, you would be sitting there and say, okay, five steps this way, and then you would come back, you would bump into it. Well, now, guess what? It's seven steps this way. So now you have zero idea how to map out that entire room, right? And, and you can imagine what kind of chaos that would make. So the reason I kind of bring that up to the kids is you, you think about that. That's morally where all, our culture is right now, right? Uh, a culture that is, is bent on rebelling against God and, and wants to go completely away, they have completely lost their fixed point of reference, right? So morally, you know, we, we hear a lot of these, uh, I'm going to get these out of the way or I'm going to trip and it's going to be even more embarrassing. Um, the, um, right now, morally in our culture, there's no fixed point of reference. So I find it interesting, you know, when you look at stuff on the news, you look at stuff, uh, you know, all the media and everything like that, there's a lot of people saying things about right and about wrong and about uh, things like justice. And, and they say things like, um, you know, talking about value. And I find it interesting because um, you kind of want to ask them, well, by what standard do you say that, right? What, what standard, what fixed point of reference are you going to say something is right or wrong? You know, and you typically get, well, it's just the way it's always been. We've always been taught that way, right? Um, and, of course, they completely neglect the fact that they've been brought up uh, in the blessings of a, of a Western culture, of, of, a, of a heavily influenced Christian culture, right? Um, you know, our, uh, in the beginning, of course, of the country, the laws were based on the, on the, the law word of God, right? And people want to... You know, they want to say, well, what's right and wrong? I don't lie, I don't do all this. And they go back and they try to pick and choose what they want from, you know, the Bible. And they say, well, I don't believe it just because Leviticus says it or 
because you know Galatians says, I just believe it because it's right and wrong. And you, you kind of want to say, you, you, you don't get to say that. You weren't here before Leviticus, right? You weren't here before the Bible. Um, you just deny the fact that you were brought up uh, under the, the blessings of a Christian culture. So anyway, that's what we have. We have a culture that is completely lost its fixed point of reference morally, right? So one of the best uh, passages that we're going to land on, I think, for this is Acts 17. If you can turn to Acts 17, um, and we're going to go to Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. And um, we're going to start in verse 22. 17 is Acts 17, 22. And... Um, We're going to go through, I think, about 28. And I'm going to get somebody to read. I'm kidding. I'm not. Um, so I'm going to read through real quick, and I'll just have some quick points, and then, uh, and then, uh, and then we can uh, maybe sing again. So Acts 17, um, verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things." And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. So what you can think of, the Areopagus is where a lot of smart people got together and just talked all day, right? Um, and uh, the way I kind of look at it, it was thoroughly secular, obviously. Um, it's kind of like the view, a bunch of people sitting around gabbing and not really getting anywhere and not making any sense and getting on everybody's nerves. That's kind of what it was. I don't watch the view. <laughs> Let me be clear. But that's what it was, a bunch of people sitting around not making any difference, just talking a lot and philosophizing and all this thing. So... Obviously, he goes there, um, and um, you know he's passing through, and he talks to him, and uh, obviously, he's going to be bold and share the truth. He's going to do it love and respect, and he's going to say, "Hey, I can see you're a very religious people." If you walk around in America today, we're a very religious people. Religion is basically just a deeply set uh, of belief, a hell beliefs, right? The question is, what religion is it? Obviously, it's fast approaching or. It's there in hyperspeed, which is secularism. Um, and um, there are various, you know, um, I don't know, manifestations of this. Uh, but each religion has, you know, has its high priest. It has its liturgy. It has its holidays. It has everything. And if you go uh, and observe all these, well, you don't have to go. You can look on the Internet. I mean, you can look and see how all of the different religions uh, are out there right now. You know, some of the biggest are obviously like sexual identity, um, uh, political identity, you know, who am I? It's all identity. It's 
Who am I? And, um, and there's, it's very religious, right? Um, and then, of course, he says, you know, I, I've noticed that you have all these gods. You even have one to an, you know, an inscription to an unknown god. You know, that's his way of, you know, saying, hey, there might be another one out there we don't know about. Let's pay homage to it, right? So therefore, what you worship in ignorance, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it. Let's stop right there. So God is God, uh, and we are not, right? Um, he's made everything in Him, through Him, for Him, are all things made. And yet, what we have right now is a, is a society that rebels against that and tells us to rebel against that. And the reason, it, um, you know, I find evolution so funny um, is, you know, I won't go into it, but the science of it is completely ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. Um, the, I mean, statistically speaking, it's, um, it's an impossibility, you know, and they want to say that we, uh, you know, have faith. It takes a lot of faith to believe something that ridiculous. And the problem is, what it does is this is something that takes... Um, takes a, uh, a complete turn from, um, from saying, hey, we were made in God's image. We were made to uh, serve Him. And we were, um, you know, what, what society has done is said, no, we don't want that. We're just purposeless. You know, we're, uh, we, we're meaningless. And these were purposeless, unguided principles that made us. No different than the random assortment of molecules when you shake up a Coke and open it up and it spews out. And the, the thing it does is it takes the value out of humans, right? It takes the value out of life when you say, yeah, we're just kind of the random chance of, you know, time plus chance plus matter. And that's it. Well, when you do that and you look at our society today, there's no wonder we have problems, right? Um, uh, you know, these are the same things that have uh, fueled some of the worst uh, most egregious atrocities in his in history is 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 to deny the fact that we're made that we're not made in the image of God, which obviously we are, and so it denies that that, and so then you get something you know it's easy to dehumanize people, right? So for example, if you if you think back to times, um, you know World War II, right? There was a culture that largely said. I know it looks like a human. It's not. It's a Jew. You can kill it, right? Uh, there was a time in all countries where it said, I know that looks like, you know, a human. It's not. It's somebody of a different race. You can enslave them. You can kill them, right? Um, this country, since 19, what, 73, I know that looks like a human. It's not. It's just a clump of cells. You can kill it, right? So you can see how... When you deny that first point that he makes, God made the world and all things in it. When you take that away, you completely take the most important, inherent part of us, which is we are made in the image of God. From there, you see the fruit. And the fruit of that is borne out all over human history, and especially it is today. So then... So he goes on, "...the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth." does not dwell in temples made with hands. So one thing I tell the youth about this is, um, 
right now, you know, obviously, if you think back to those times, let me go back. When, when you think back to those times, um, you think back to what they did. Well, if they would conquer another people, they would get their gods, right? They would get their little, uh, they would get their statues and all this, and they'd bring them back, and they'd say, hey, we've conquered them, now we've got their gods. If they thought they wanted another god, then they would run out to the field, they'd get a rock, you know, and a chisel, and they'd say, I want my god to be strong. And they would sit there and chisel, 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 big muscles, right? Okay, got a straw, straw. I want a, I want a god that can see everything. Chisel, chink, 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 here's some eyes, you know. I want a god that um, is based in fertility. And you, you know, chink, 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 other things. So anyway, you go through and you make a god out of your own image. And that's what they would do, right? Again, that's no different than today, right? If you look around, what is one of the biggest things? Not only from secular culture, but also from... Uh, other people who would consider themselves to be Christians, other people that you would consider, well, they have church. Well, you know, the guy that, that, that I know, the God that I love, would be, is okay with same-sex marriage. Chink, 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 here's my God. The God that I know, the God that I love, is, is actually okay with abortion. Chink, 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 right? The God that I know is okay with just fill in the blank. And you can tell all throughout our culture that's what we've had. We've, we've got people that want to make Jesus into their own image. Jesus is my homeboy. You know, all this kind of weird stuff. Jesus is, yeah, he's like that cool uncle that shows up every now and then to the, to the family reunion. You know, and they make Jesus into something that he's not, that he never said that he was, right? And... And so that's one thing that Paul is saying here that, that can be attributed to our culture. You know, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, right? He is who he is. I am that I am. So then you kind of keep going here, and he's like, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people, all people life and breath and all things. And so, you know, one thing I tell the, the youth here, this goes back to something that Stephen preaches on a lot. You know, we, we have a tendency, especially in this culture, to, uh, to be legalistic, right? To, to think that we can serve God in a way uh, to where we, we could actually give Him enough to where uh, we are now justified in front of Him. Well, I've done this much. I've showed up this much to church. I've paid this much on taxes. Um, or I've given more than my fair share. I've actually contributed this many, um, you know, charities and things like that. Um, and, uh, and, and, and what I tell the youth is one of these days when we're in the presence of God, it's not like we're going to walk up and he's going to say, uh, hey, you know, you are, uh, you are sinful in my sight. And you say, yeah, but... There was that time that I helped that old lady across the street. You remember that? Yeah, I remember that. You know, uh, There was that time that I gave a lot to that charity. It's not going to be a bargaining chip, right? We don't serve God as if he, he needed anything from us. Um, now, um, and then, of course, he draws the direct correlation. God is the creator. He gives to all people life and breath and all things, right? Um, so we serve God, uh, and this, you know, this is what um, 
you know, uh, I told him that there was a friendship between J.R. Tolkien, who wrote the Hobbit series and all that, and C.S. Lewis. And they asked, uh, and he asked, uh, reportedly he asked C.S. Lewis, what, what makes Christianity different? And C.S. said, well, grace, right? Uh, we have a God that loves us so much that knows we are eternally separated from Him, and only He could actually justify us unto Himself. And so our heart is literally changed from the inside, and we desire to serve Him because we love Him, right? Not because there's sort of a quid pro quo all the time. You know, I've got to do this much. I have some friends, some dear friends of mine that are, honey, I'm going over five minutes, I'm sorry. Um, I have some friends that are, um, that are Muslim, right? Um, and um, the times that I've shared the gospel with them, you know, uh, I, I've talked to them. I said, what is your hope for salvation, right? What, what is it that, that, that you can walk every day and, and, and say that I have faith that I'm, I'm going to be on the right side of this when I die? And the thing they tell me is we don't. We don't know that, right? That's why we try to always let our good outweigh our bad. And, and it's very subjective. There's not clear evidence, you know. Islam is all about just submission, submission, and it's out of fear. And that is not what we have. We don't have something where we have to walk in fear of does my good outweigh our bad because we know there is no good, right? We have no good in us. Uh, we're completely depraved uh, apart from Christ. And what we get from him, I used to tell a lot of people my age and, and here remembers when uh, Dunham's used to be Food World, right? And um, I remember going with mom to Food World, and I would run off and get lost. And um, during Halloween, they would always have these, uh, this section of, um, of the costumes. And they would have the mask, and then they would have the, the rest of the costume hanging there. And my favorite thing to do was I, was I was a tiny kid, and I would jump behind those costumes and just hide there, right? And then when anybody came by, even if it was, bless their hearts, 90-year-old women, they would come by, I would put like, I'd find one of the little devil masks, you know? And I would peek through and wait for them, and I'd go, ah! You know, and I would, and the, you know, and every one of them knew me. They was got Andrew Hodge, you know? And so within five minutes, you'd hear that, Will Andrew Hodges please come to the front of the, you know. Um, the devil mask was probably a bad reference, but you get my point. So, um, but it, what was interesting was when I peeked my head out, I was clothed with all the costumes that were around me. And so what the, the, the illustration I try to draw to the, to the youth is when, when you have turned to Christ in repentance and faith, when God looks at you, you know, He doesn't see the utterly depraved, sinful um, person. You are clothed in that righteousness of Christ, right? That's what He sees. And that's if unto, a, a, you know, a, a free gift of grace there. And that's what, and He doesn't see the devil mask, right? <laughs> he sees Christ. Um, and so again, this gets back to the point, He has served... Um, He's not served by human hands as he needed anything. He gives to people, all people, life and breath and all things. And my last point here, um, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all face of the earth, having determined their appointed times 
and the boundaries of their habitation. This is something that's... Um, my brother and I talk a lot about, which I think everybody does, about the good old days, right? Um, you know, we think back. I was born in 1982. Yes, yes, 19, I know. I know what a lot of people are thinking. Is he even old enough to be a doctor? Um, um, so I was born in 82. My brother was born in 73, so we, weren't, we didn't like each other. We didn't really know each other a lot, um, People were like, I bet y'all got in a lot of fights. No, we didn't. It was pretty much just set them up, knock them down. That was it. Um, but we do talk about, you know, talking about the good old days, about how great the 80s were and all that. And uh, I joke with some of my patients, and they'll come in, and, you know, maybe they'll be born in the late 40s, like my parents, and I'll say, man, the 50s were great, weren't they? And they're like, okay, that's weird. Um, but, you know, we all have that decade we think back to, and we think, man, that was the day. Oh, golly, I used to have so much fun riding my bike, you know. Um, I remember riding my bike down to uh, where the movie theater is now, and uh, I guess where the well is. I think that was Woolworths, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? I think it was Woolworths. Anyway, you remember. And they, I remember riding my bike down there as a, as a young kid, and they had Bigfoot down there, the, the monster truck. And, you know, we're sitting there getting your picture taken and all this. And, and some of my fondest memories were running around with my brother in that area. And um, so I have a point to this, I promise. Um, it's easy now for me to um, pay attention to what's going on in the world, right? And you get so dismayed. I mean, you can't turn on anything without... Uh, being completely inundated with the us versus them mentality, with the with the fears, with the um, just the horror, um, with the rampant rampant um, rebellion against God, and it really gets you down. And if you don't watch it, it can really eat away and make you bitter. It can make you even bitter in the time. Um, you're like, man, it would be so much better. God, things would be so much better if I was back in the 80s. And, you know, we didn't have these phones to deal with. We could just pop in a cassette tape. Uh, kids, I'll tell you all what that is later. But you pop that in and, and uh, man, you know, you just ride down the road. You didn't have to worry about people texting you. Uh, you didn't, you know, if your phone rang, maybe you would get the call. Maybe your mom was talking to her sister for five hours and you didn't know that so many people call. Like, it's, it's, times were so much simpler. And it's easy to get to that point in your heart where you think, I just, I'm just not made for this time. I, I just I can't deal with it. I don't like how, how ugly people are to each other. I don't like how much rebellion against God there is. Um, you know, I'm just going to kind of tuck away, do my own thing, and leave everybody else alone. And to me, this is an indictment of that. Um, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times. The things that I try to remind, remind the youth is, since God is God and we're not, right? He knows all things. He has, um, he has already appointed from the beginning where each of us is supposed to live, what point of time, who we're supposed to be with, where we're supposed to be. Um, if God wants you here, then you need to be here. I know at times, you know, especially the further we follow Christ, 
the more alienated we feel. And I think that's supposed to be the way it is. The more we follow Christ, the closer we get to Him, the less we're going to look like the world, the more uncomfortable we're going to feel being here. And I, that's, more, that's more of an exhortation to y'all that um, we're supposed to serve God in this way, at this time, in this culture, with the people that are around us, whether that's family or friends or community or whatever. And we all need to examine our hearts. We need to get rid of the bitterness that's in our hearts for the way the world is, so to speak, and not just cower down and say, well, the Lord's coming soon, so I'm just going gonna, gonna to be in my bunker, you know, with, uh, with my Y2K supplies and, you know, Lord, hurry up. We're supposed to be out there. You know, it says the gates of hell will not prevail against him. And gates are defensive, so that means we're supposed to be on the offensive. We're supposed to be the ones in the culture bringing Christ to the culture, the culture that we live in now. Um, and that's, and that, that's one thing, at least, that he's trying to drive home. Paul is trying to drive home to these people, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So, if we, what we need, just to kind of land the plane here, you know, this is, this is near and dear to my heart because Paul is talking to a culture that we're in right now. Um, we are in this culture that they're grasping for everything else other than Christ to give them direction. And I don't care if that's um, conservatism or liberalism or humanism or secularism or whatever it is, there are all sorts of distractions out there that are meant to take us from Christ. And if we don't watch it, we'll fall into that same trap. We'll, fall our, we'll, fall, we'll find ourselves, as Stephen says, either sick or dead in the, in the faith, right? Um, and we'll be chasing after things um, that, are, that are not a fixed point of reference, there will be something in that dark room that's rolling back and forth, and we will never find where our true uh, fixed point is to tell us what is right, what is wrong, what is the truth, um, and what isn't. So that's about it. Let me uh, close this in prayer real quick. Lord, I thank you for uh, allowing me to talk. Um, again, Lord, I pray that you would... Uh, have this message of, of your word be clear. Um, Lord, I, I pray again if there was anything in error, you would, uh, you would help him forget it, and only your word would shine through. Um, Lord, we pray for Stephen. Um, and um, so he's not only getting over illness, but he's traveling. Um, Lord, I, I pray for the messages that he's bringing the people over there. What a light. What a light he is to them as well as to us. I thank you for this church. I thank you for his leadership. I thank you for the, the elders, the deacons, Lord, um, of this church. And I pray that um, as fast as this culture flees from you, Lord, we would stay with you as our fixed reference point. You are our ultimate standard, Lord. You are our creator. You are also our redeemer. And I pray we would never shy away from that. Um, you would strengthen us even in the darkest of times. In Jesus' name, amen.